0: You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 279 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you live on a Sunday evening into Monday wrapping up a, a jam-packed weekend of action for the Hawks uh, two games one win one loss as you probably have seen by now uh apologize for I was planning on doing a show on Saturday morning to wrap up Friday night's game against Houston but I ended up having to travel late Friday night and into Saturday and really kind of all day Saturday and most of the day Sunday so that uh, explains that a little bit of absence but you know plenty of time to wrap up both games on today's Monday podcast and uh, very interesting results to be sure we'll start on Friday sort of going chronological order I, I know most people are going to be more fo- more focused on, se- on Sunday because of the result was better on the floor but uh, Friday night was also interesting when really we're talking about so we'll start there with the uh one with the one nineteen to one hundred four loss on uh, on Friday to the Houston Rockets, uh, no surprise. Just a few notes before I get into uh, the actual uh, sort of player by player breakdown of this thing. Uh, Kent Bazemore got the first, and I, I would say the most. Time on James Harden in the backcourt. Uh, Houston was without Chris Paul in this game and has been out for uh, for a little bit for a little while now, which makes them a little bit more conventional than you might think. But uh, obviously, Harden was fantastic in this game. Uh, 29 points and 11 assists in 31 minutes. Uh, he certainly could have played more, but um, Houston led by uh, up, upwards of 30 points in the fourth quarter, so he's not needing to tax himself. But Harden was fantastic throughout this game, and uh, you know a lot of that was uh, I, I'm not going to say it was anybody's fault in particular. bay got the first uh, crack at him, but a lot of people. Uh, sort of had their had their turn to try to guard James Harden. We remember last year, DeAndre Bembry came off the bench in a very, very rare appearance and covered uh, Harden probably the better than anybody else did on the roster. Obviously, Bembry is still not available at this point in time, and the Hawks didn't have a ton of great options on him. <clears throat> I mean, Torian Prince was one guy. I talked to Bud uh, before the game even began and Bud talked about how much he wanted size on Harden, uh, and uh, we saw some of that, but at the same time, there were not a ton of options with quality size and speed and you know agility to be able to get in front and stay in front of Harden, and uh, we saw that kind of throughout the game. Um, the Rockets quickly, quickly built a 10-point lead on uh, four three-pointers in the first five and a half minutes. Uh, they were getting a lot of shots up early, had a 141 um, offensive rating in the first quarter that placed the Hawks in an 11-point deficit. Um, the Hawks had made a couple of runs, they made a 10-0 run uh, late in the first half, and they made a third quarter run um, as well, The kind of chip, chip away at the lead, but uh, each and every time uh, Houston best lead just chipped away right away at the lead and kind of put it back up to in that 20-25 point range. Got to 30 uh, with, with a 14-5 run by the Rockets early in the fourth quarter, and that was kind of the end of that. I will say, though, you know, a couple of just lineup notes, um, John Collins and Dwayne Debman played together for the first time all season long, it was in the fourth quarter, so not a huge takeaway, than it's just something that a, uh, gave Bud a opportunity to sort of um, tinker a little bit in that fourth quarter, and uh, every single active player for the Hawks appeared in this game, which we'll talk about here in a second. Malcolm Delaney did not play. He was ruled out um, for the game with a sprained right ankle, um, but aside from that, everybody else that was expected to play got in the game, um, albeit um, for Nick Pristino at least. It was only uh, garbage time minutes in the fourth quarter. Um, aside from that, though, those are the big takeaways. I mean, obviously, there's some overarching stuff where, you know, the defense was the problem all night long. The Rockets scored 117.4 points per port, 100 possessions in this game. That's uh, not um, not good. Obviously, the pace wasn't crazy. Only 101 possessions in this game. So it wasn't like it was, like, overwhelmingly uh, downhill for Houston, but just the Hawks were not capable of uh, slowing them down, really. Um, and offensively, the Hawks were not terrible. Uh, shot 40, 48% from the floor Got a, and scored at about a 103 clip in terms of per 100 possessions. That's not awful. It's not great either by any, by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a competitive offensive effort for Atlanta. Just not great defensively, which is kind of what you expect against the Houston team that um, is uh, is not great defensively, but is definitely very, you know fully capable of uh, blowing you uh, blowing you out in a big in a big way offensively. And they were able to do that here, building the thirty point lead. Uh, you know, and I will say all the numbers um, for the full game look a little bit better than this actually was. You know, I, I, mean, I it's worth saying again that the Hawks did the Hawks were trailing by thirty points in the fourth quarter at home. I looked up at, at, at halftime a couple. Of people that I was sitting with on press row and kind of said, and the Hawks were down 18 at this point in time. And I kind of said, look, the Hawks, the Hawks are not playing badly for the Hawks baseline. Obviously, so they were not playing fantastic basketball. But it wasn't as if the Hawks just came out and laid a complete egg when compared to expectations. But for them to be just playing, you know, reasonably well and being down 18 at home in the first half, uh, it's kind of indicative of how lopsided the talent uh, differential was and the uh, sort of the overall performance differential was in this game. And Houston just a much better basketball team, obviously, than Atlanta is right now. Uh, quickly, we'll go through the players um, from Friday night's game. Um, positives were mostly on the bench um, in this spot. Luke Babbitt had a good game. Had, had all four of his three-point attempts. Had 12 points in uh, 27 minutes. I Isaiah Taylor had a, nice, had a nice game. Sort of a re, sort of a, a, a revenge game spot for Taylor, uh, who was cut um, in favor of Bobby Brown, which looks like it was a pretty big mistake by Houston. Brown is not doing a, a lot of great work in Houston, and Taylor has looked very, very good here in Atlanta. A in short sample, we'll talk about him more on the Sunday uh, on the Sunday game as well. But uh, he had 12 points and 5 assists in 25 minutes on Friday, played very, very well, was actually plus 8 in a game. The Hawks lost by, lost by 15 points, which kind of speaks to how good he was off the bench. So Tyler Dorsey played well, uh, his first real time as an NBA player, non garbage time edition. He had his first points, uh, scored 10 points in 18 minutes, got three, uh, 3 of 6 from the floor, 2 of 4 from 3, got to the line two for 2 attempts. It wasn't, you know, fantastic. But, you know, Dorsey can uh, definitely score the basketball. We were able to see that a a little bit on full display here. Um, Elsewhere on the bench, John Collins had eight points and 12 rebounds at four block shots in 28 minutes. I didn't think John was, you know, fantastic or anything like that, but he definitely uh, was not bad at all in this game, uh, especially when compared to the competition uh, with a high-end Western Conference team on the other other end of the floor. uh, Finally on the bench. Marco Bellinelli struggled in a big way. We saw that again on Sunday. Uh, he was 0-5 from the floor. Was the was a minus 19 in 18 minutes, which just was not good against Houston whatsoever. What's going to happen in a little bit with Bellinelli, but... Uh, he was not good, uh, let's just put it that way and Nick Persino played 6 minutes, was plus 13 as the Hawks made a run in the 4th quarter, that was not necessarily driven by him, he was pretty anonymous uh, that's kind of all there is to say about the way that he played in this game uh, in, start, in, in, the starting, in the starting 5 each and every guy on the starting 5 was minus 10 or worse, not a big surprise considering Houston's starting 5 was uh, fantastic in this game, Dennis Schroeder, 16 points had 4 assists and 4 turnovers, was minus 26 a game-worst figure, that's not all on him by any stretch, but defensively he was uh, he was a mess in this game, there's no way there's no other way to put it I thought Schroeder was just flatly awful defensively Um, that's been a lot of the time this year honestly it was not just a one-game sample where Dennis was bad defensively it has been most of the season this year but especially against Houston you just cannot be as uh, absent as he was as I don't don't, know lazy is sort of an interesting word for it but just sort of unaware not a ton of effort from Dennis defensively and uh, it showed in a big way against Houston Uh, Kit Bazemore played uh, reasonably well I thought 18 points on 14 shots, was 0 of five from three. So I felt like he was. I think people were uh, a little bit more upset with him than I was in this game. I thought, I, just, I thought he played fine. He just didn't uh, shoot the ball well, and that kind of hurts. If you just make one of those one of those five threes, doesn't doesn't quite feel as rough but uh, I thought he was okay here. Torian Prince played well, 16 points, uh, three rebounds, and two assists. He was probably the best player on the court for Atlanta for most of this game, um, at least in terms of the starting five. Uh, Dwight Dedman, uh, sort of anonymous performance, nine points and seven rebounds in 22 minutes. He was efficient offensively, but defensively wasn't a whole lot he was able to do against the Houston penetration when it happened. And uh, just the ball movement, that, that was really the key was the ball movement and three-point attempts. You know, Houston took 47 threes, and uh, that was with them slowing down considerably. They were on pace to take you know 55-60 threes for most of this game. Before they sort of uh, sort of turn the uh, dial down in the fourth quarter, um, finally Mike Muscala was. This is not a great game for Mike Muscala. Uh, three points and 19 minutes. He actually was uh, injured and not did not return in the second half um, for the most part of this game. He was uh, he kind of sat down and then was uh, quickly uh, ruled uh, out for. The game on Sunday so uh, we will not see Muscal on Sunday or Monday as the Hawks announced that at least uh, with Michael Cunningham with AJC uh, got that out there that Muscal is also going to miss Monday's game so uh, I don't think he was as bad as the numbers probably indicate here um, and I think you know against Ryan Anderson it wasn't like that's a bad matchup for him when compared to some others but Muscal wasn't fantastic and uh, you know people were definitely not upset to, to see less of him I think on Sunday especially because of the way Luke Babbitt played and we'll talk about that in a little bit but I thought you know Muscala is just kind of it is what it is at this point, but he's out on Sunday and Monday, um, and there it is. Um, That's kind of all I got for the game on Friday. It was an ugly performance for a lot of it, but you know to be expected when you're playing a team that's just much much better than you at this point in time. Uh, Houston is one of those handful of teams that you can you know reliably expect to even go on the road and take care of business like that, and they certainly did that against the Hawks on Friday. Before we get into Sunday's game, which was obviously more fun to talk about, the Hawks did make a roster move on Sunday morning. It was uh, adding Tyler Cavanaugh to a two-way contract. Uh, It's a little bit strange that the Hawks would sign him in the middle of the season to a two-way contract. I think he's the only guy that's been uh, quote-unquote called up or signed to a two-way contract in the middle of the season. But it makes some sense if you dig down a little bit more to that. Um, Atlanta was one of the very, very few teams in the league that did not already have both of of their two-way spots filled. Of course, the first guy is Josh Majette. Um, and because Atlanta was down so many players in the spot, it almost felt as if um, the Hawks were signing Tyler Cavanaugh to the two-way contract simply to have another body on the bench um, for right now. Because uh, as a reminder, uh, on Sunday they were playing without Miles Plumlee, who's been out, you know, basically all season. Um, they were playing without Mike Muscala. They were playing without Ursula Sova. That's three guys. Um, you know, Plummer wasn't going to be in the rotation necessarily, but that's three guys that they could use. And uh, as a result, they were going into the game with only three healthy uh, big men, quote unquote. That's Dedman, um Collins, and uh, Luke Babbitt, who isn't this like physical force either. Um, so signing Kavanaugh gave him a fourth big, uh, at least. And and by the way, Kavanaugh appeared for three minutes in the game on Sunday. Spoiler alert: there. Uh, I don't love. The way that the Hawks are using their two-way spots, I've said that. At least, the, you know, the first one they use the um, the Maget two-way, and I, I've defended it at times. I don't, I don't think Majet is going to be a uh, an NBA rotation guy at any point in time. But I will say that it makes some sense to me, and I've said this numerous times that you, if you want a guy who's going to run your offense great, pass the ball at a high level, he had 16 assists by the way on Sunday in a G League game in Erie. Um, Majet, that, that's a perfectly fine use of a roster spot. It's a two-way deal. It's it's $75,000 to a guy that's going to run our system perfectly at the G League level, set, set guys up, make your guys. Look good and just kind of operate well. You need a point guard that's competent at the G League level. It really, really helps things, and that was a fine use of that. But I will say, using both of the two-way spots on guys who I don't think are going to be NBA rotation players at any point, or really have any chance of being that, to be honest with you, um, doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I think it's pretty transparent that you know Kavanaugh knows the system. They already had him in Erie as an affiliate player He was on the Erie team, and now they just basically. In order, in order to avoid having to cut somebody, which they didn't want to do, obviously if they, the only way they had to add somebody in the immediate time was to use the two-way spot, which they probably weren't going to use That's that's, that's me talking, but it felt like the Hawks were going to let that two-way spot go, um, which was okay. I mean, they don't have to use it by any stretch of the imagination and, you know, teams and teams and players and agents don't seem to love it, but it, basically they're paying, they're paying tower Cavanaugh uh, a little bit, a little bit more money to uh, have him around and be able to t- take up a roster spot that really would not be there otherwise. So, Uh, Kavanaugh's fine. He's a fine G League player. He had a a good game on Friday in the G League uh, debut for Erie. But it isn't as if he's going to be some NBA guy. I I don't think he'll be around much at the at the, at the Atlanta level this year unless you have injury problems. But right now, obviously, you know if Illyasova still remains out on Monday, I expect him to be uh, in Atlanta with the Hawks and maybe even play. I mean, um, it's Bud is not like to go and cut his rotation down a whole lot, and they just don't have any bigs right now. And they, I mean, they could play. They they could play small, and they played a little bit of small ball on Sunday. But still, just having that warm body seems to be appealing to Atlanta. Again, I don't love the way they've done this. I think I'd like to take at least a little bit of an upside hit on one of those two 2 way spots. But uh the Hawks have made that decision and clearly they don't love the two way concept, I don't think. But uh they're they're making it work for them and that's uh something that's uh just has to be said. Uh by the way, Kavanaugh, twenty three years old, in case you guys have uh sort of forgotten this, he was in camp for the Hawks, so till nearly the very end. And he also played on the summer league team this summer in Vegas. So if you want to just sort of file your memory bank back on that, he's, he's a fine, solid player, knows, knows what he's doing, that kind of stuff. Uh, just not a ton of upside, athleticism, and sort of force, that kind of that kind of thing. He was a skilled, a quality player at the college level at George Washington. So go back and check that out if you want to do that. But uh, we'll see if we will see if we see him more. But he did he did he did appear in the game on Sunday. So a quick introduction there for Tyler Cappenau. Uh To the game uh, on Sunday, overall, uh, by, by the time you list this, I'm sure you know the Hawks won this game. They break their eight game losing streak, 117 to 115. The Hawks led for the great majority of this basketball game, started out early, uh, and uh, kind of just held on for dear life at the end. They only, only ended up winning by two points, but um, this was really kind of bungled down the stretch. The Hawks probably should have won this game by eight or ten, um, even with Cleveland fighting back in the fourth quarter when they were playing a little bit harder. Uh, Cleveland won the fourth quarter by 11 points, but even you know the final seconds, it should never have been as close as it got. Atlanta was almost like uh, almost trying to lose, and not I mean, they obviously weren't trying to lose in the fourth quarter, but... It felt as if they were doing everything they possibly could to lose this basketball game in the final seconds. There was a shot in the air from Channing Frye that would have given the Cleveland to, Cleveland the win, and then a missed tip-in by Dwayne Wade in the final seconds, and uh, before Atlanta was able to finally sort of kick the ball away, get this thing uh, wrapped up with a two-point win. So uh, a lot of takeaways from this game, uh, none of which were uh, you know huge for the future, because I don't think, I think the biggest thing that has to mention is that Cleveland's defense in this game was just horrific from start to finish, for, for the most part. You know, There were flashes in the fourth quarter when they were trying a little bit harder, but even and then Dennis shooter especially was able to get anything he wanted to throughout this contest. And a lot of that is Cleveland's defense. I, I mean, Atlanta did play well offensively in this game when compared to other uh, games on the schedule so far, but Cleveland's defense was one of the bottom five in the league coming in. They, they, they looked better on Friday when LeBron was superhuman against the wizards, but they clearly did not prioritize and, uh, A ton of energy for this game on Sunday afternoon. It's a sleepy Sunday afternoon game and it's a bad team. I totally get that, but Cleveland was just ghastly uh, on defense in this game, and that that has to be uh, at the forefront of everything that transpired just because Atlanta's offense was able to have some success, but uh, you kind of have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because Cleveland was already bad on defense and then didn't bring really any effort to the table at all here. Uh, LeBron did finish the game with 26 points and 13 assists, um, and it was he was he was only a minus four. The rest of the starters for the Cleveland were absolutely dreadful. Kevin Love left early with an, with uh, illness. He only played 18 minutes, which has to be filed away. Jay Crowder was really bad. Derrick Rose was actively terrible in this game for Cleveland. Uh, J.R. Smith was just fine. He was kind of out there, but it was all the bench that made Cleveland have the run. Dwayne Wade carried their water in the first half with a big half, and then Kyle Korver, old friend of the program, had 23 points in this game. Much of those came in the final. Uh, uh, few uh, minutes of the contest. He got hot late and uh, was able to keep him in the game, but uh, you know, it was all the bench for Cleveland that kept the, even things alive because Atlanta was threatening to run away and hide at, at, at different times of this game. They were leading by double figures and comfortably leading. Looked to be over on a couple of different occasions, but then of course Cleveland would rise from the dead. A little bit more effort and uh, came back to within two. but There you go on that. Offensively though, Cleveland uh, had a 112.5 offensive rating, which is not great for Atlanta's defense. You know, Cleveland's offensive weapons are are well documented. They have a lot of them, but I didn't think they played very well here. So defensively, some worry spots for Atlanta because uh, Cleveland was scuffling in a big way, and they still gave up up way too many points here. Offensive rebounding, um, Cleveland offensive rebounds 31% of their misses. That's too many. They had 15 offensive rebounds. That's just too many to give up to a team that's already going to be beating up on you a little bit offensively anyway. So that's something to file away for the future. But aside from that, uh, we'll focus on Atlanta. Dennis, Schroeder, I mentioned before, was very, very good offensively. This is probably his best game of the season, I think, personally. Offensively, uh, you know, a lot of that again was because of Cleveland's defense. But 28 points and nine assists. Uh, had six, it did have six turnovers, uh, you know, that has to be said as well. But 31 minutes was nine of 13 from the floor, two of three from three, and made all eight of his free throws. Dennis was basically able to get anything he wanted offensively. Was under control throughout the game, no circus craziness, and uh, was very, very efficient in a good way for Atlanta, and that was a huge thing. Just able to take advantage of as something. That Dennis has to do is take advantage of good matchups, and he was able to do that here. Derrick Rose is an actively bad defender. Uh, they don't really have anybody on this roster right now that can really guard point guards effectively. So uh, Dennis was able to take advantage of that, and shouts to him for doing so. Uh, Kent Bazemore, 14 points, nine rebounds, and seven assists in 35 minutes it was four of 11 from the floor and four of eight from three, which is not great at all. But uh, four game was very good here. Um, Kent gave a, a lot of good effort defensively. Um, you know, him him guarding LeBron is never going to go well. We've seen that movie a number of times. But uh, Kent at least gives effort there and was uh, was plus eight. Um, when he was on the floor in his 35 minutes I thought he played very well in, the, in terms of the all-court impact and uh, even when he had the ball in his hands that was, uh, there was there were some good moments from Kent. Uh, Dwight Deadman had 15 points, 7 rebounds was 7 of 10 from the floor. Um, wasn't great wasn't great as a screener in this game. I think I mentioned on the previous podcast something that Tower Jones has pointed out to me and now I'm looking forward actively as well, but his his screens were really really like, really, really questionable at different times, and defensively he was uh, a bad, a couple bad moments in the fourth quarter. Um, it's, it's kind of to be expected against Cleveland, but uh, Dwayne, you know, his numbers looked good, and looked he looked efficient in this game. I didn't think he was awesome by any stretch, but he wasn't terrible either. Uh, Torian Prince did a really good job on LeBron James for most of this game. 17 points, 5 rebounds, uh, was plus 5, and uh, guarded LeBron for the majority of his 36 minutes on the floor. I thought Torian was very good, uh, you know, offensively. Uh, honestly, I think that was probably his best defensive game of the season. Um, you know, it's, it's a weird thing thing because I think Torian is overrated defensively at this moment in time but the effort was really good I think he was up for the challenge Against LeBron, it probably helped that LeBron was sort of in sleepy mode for the first half or even the first three quarters <laughs> on Sunday afternoon. But still, Torian, uh, I thought, did a very good job defensively on a, you know, on LeBron. We all know how difficult of a matchup that is for really anybody in the entire league, and that goes for Torian as well. So I thought he played well here. Uh, Luke Babbitt was the story, though, I will say, um, in terms of, uh, you know, Schroeder had the best game overall, but Luke Babbitt had, had his career high in minutes played. Uh, he's been in the league for quite some time, and but he'd never played 42 minutes in an NBA game. He did that. On Sunday, uh, most of that has to do with the fact that the Hawks don't really have anybody at power forward right now. Um, Bud did use John Collins as a power forward in non-garbage time for the first time all season, but it was a very small amount of time, but he did that, and uh, you know Tyler Cavanaugh only played three minutes, so that, that left the other 42 minutes of power forward time to Luke Babbitt, um, and there you go. Uh, I will say he did play a little bit of small ball with Torian Prince when the, when the two of them were playing uh, together, but for the most part, it was just Babbitt at the four. He had 17 points and three rebounds, was plus seven, hit a bunch of shots early, you know, sort of cooled off, as you might expect him to. He wasn't going to be able to like go crazy on Cleveland, even on Cleveland, I should say, uh, all game long, but, uh, you know, plus seven, 42 minutes, 17 points, and Babbitt did a, did a great job in his role. And defensively, I have long thought he was underrated um, this year, and, you know, even when I watched tape, I was surprised when the Hawks made that sign. I was like, oh, Luke Babbitt competes on defense. And now, uh, you know, he's not great. He's never going to be great defensively. But, uh, you know, he played... He played hard, he played well, and I thought, yeah, you know, he was a good story here. You hear a lot of uh, talk about him maybe taking some more minutes from Mike Muscala when both are healthy. Uh, I was talking to this uh, I was talking about this with Kale Chenard actually on Twitter. Is that I actually think Muscala is a slightly better player than Luke Babbitt, but I, I I do think that Babbitt is a better fit with a lot of what the Hawks are doing at the power forward spot. That's not the fault of Muscala by any stretch, but I you know it's just one of those things where Babbitt's just more of a natural more natural fit at power forward with the way the NBA is going right now, and also playing alongside Collins and uh, and Dead in the way that that works out. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Hawks lead on him a little bit more in certain matchups. There'll be, there'll be times when they just can't play Luke Babbitt a ton. Um, but, you know, this is a game where he played very well in 42 minutes, and that probably leads. Uh, by the way, we're going to see a lot more of him again on Monday because Mescal has already been ruled out. So we'll see. I assume he will start on Monday. That's not been announced, but I assume Babbitt will start again and maybe not play 42 minutes, but we'll play a ton again on Bo- against, against Boston. And, uh, yeah, Babbitt was good. That's sort of the moral of the story here. Um, B- Bud basically played eight guys in this game. You know, Kavanaugh was the ninth. He played three minutes, but uh, it, was, it was an eight-man rotation, something that Bud does not like to do a whole lot of. Even in the playoffs, he's kind of famously had a long rotation. But, um, you know, it was probably, out of necessity with all, 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 all these guys injured, John Collins had 12 points and 13 rebounds was plus 15 in 24 minutes he was three of 10 from the floor that was really the only black mark was that he couldn't finish very well in this spot but uh, I thought Collins was a terror on the offensive glass had seven offensive rebounds forced a ton of fouls for Cleveland I thought you know John was just very very good uh, aside from the finishing around the rim which was I think I think he was just kind of jumpy a little bit skittish around the rim but uh, everything else in this game even defensively I thought Collins had some had some very good minutes uh, especially in the first half defensively uh, just kind of being being He's supposed to be and being a deterrent around the rim, being active. And I made a little bit of a, of a sarcastic joke about him uh, not playing his traditional position of power forward, but I thought he was very effective at center in this game and, uh, you know, very, very encouraging time. He had a great dunk in the fourth quarter. I, well, maybe it was the third quarter. Definitely in the second half, a great dunk from Collins and something that I followed away immediately in my head. Uh, his activity was just great. And people, even nationally, people were noticing that in the, fourth, in the second half uh, as people sort of flipped, flipped back to, to that game from the NFL side. I'm sure but uh, Collins uh, turned a lot of heads on Sunday afternoon and he was awesome in his 24 minutes Isaiah Taylor was the other big story 26 minutes from him 12, 14 points three assists with 6 of 12 from the floor he actually was minus 10 I'm not I'm not going to tell you that was indicative I thought um, Taylor was pretty good um, that's you know single a plus minus get you in trouble a little bit because I thought Taylor played well individually he was just on the court for uh, a lot of Cleveland's big run um, but, you know, another very strong game. I mean, people are starting to sort of pencil him in as the backup point guard um, moving forward. I don't think he's going to play as well as he uh, has the last few games uh, all season long. It's just because uh, he's been, you know, actively good and actively helping. And I, I, we just haven't seen that yet. I mean, it's, it's definitely not impossible by any stretch that he could just be this guy. But uh, my, my guard's up a little bit on Taylor, but I do like him quite a bit. And uh, the early returns are positive on Isaiah Taylor. So it's another guy to keep an eye on moving forward. And uh, lastly, probably the only negative spot was uh, and this is the second game in a row, Mark. Bellinelli just not, does not look right to me. I say this for the end just because I don't think Bellinelli looks super healthy at the moment. He had been he had been battling battling the Achilles early on. He's still on the injury report. He's been probable the last few games. He's been playing. I think a lot of that's probably because the Hawks don't have a, a whole lot of other options. He does not look great to me, though. It's just two games in a row where he did not look good, even did not look active necessarily and healthy or springy. Not that he's the best athlete in the world anyway, but um, you can definitely tell he's not um, feeling it right now after a hot start to the season. We'll see if that if he's able to bounce back on Monday, but uh, we'll keep an eye on Bell & because the Hawks need his creation quite a bit in an ideal sense because uh, right now without it, you know they were able to score efficiently against the Cleveland, a lot to Cleveland again, but Bellinelli uh, is going to be on the floor when the Hawks need offense this year, and uh, he's not been great the last couple of games. Um, all that to say, there's a lot of a lot of podcasting for a weekend without a guest. So I appreciate you guys bearing with me on uh, my ramblings from two basketball games and a signing in the last couple of days. Uh, we uh, the Hawks are back in action again on uh, Monday night, so I'll be in the arena for the Boston Celtics game. I'll be doing a podcast live from there, breaking that down probably a little bit in a, in a short form fashion. Might have a few uh, a few a few additional insights, but uh, for the most part, it'll be a Celtics breakdown. And uh, you know, it's always fun when they come to town. You know, Boston lost to Gordon Hayward early in the season, but they still have Al Horford. They still have Kyrie, Kyrie Irving. They've been playing very good basketball in the early going, and the Hawks will be there be an underdog in the spot. You know, even at, even at home. Boston's just a better team than Atlanta is right now, and but, but it, it has to be, it should be stated though, Boston's playing a night game on the road in Orlando on Sunday, so a short flight, actually a shorter flight than the, what, what the Hawks had, but uh, the Hawks are playing about four or five, year, four or five hours earlier, so they have a little bit of an advantage in terms of the travel and all that stuff, and you know being in their home, being in their home backyard, and uh, this is one, this is one rare spot this year I think where the Hawks are going to might actually have a legitimate home home court advantage because uh, Hawks fans do not like the Celtics, and uh, they might they might come out in mass even on a Monday. It's a Try to get get some people in the building and uh, sort of have that negativity about the subjects in the building, that little bit of buzz that usually follows them around at Phillips Arena when they arrive on an annual basis. So stay tuned for that. We'll be back on Tuesday morning. I appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. As always, uh, subscribe to the show anywhere you want to, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, wherever you like to find your podcast. We will be there. If we're not, please tell us, and we'll get there as fast as we can. I promise you that. And uh, we'll see you guys live from Phillips Arena on Tuesday morning.